All right, welcome to the Jesus Chronicles. And I am here today with Dr. David Matheson. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for being here. We're having coffee today. Uh, Dr. Dave is my friend from Denver Seminary. He's a professor of New Testament there. He's been there for eight years now. Wow. Time flies. Yeah, it does. Seems like I just got there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in your very first class. That's right. Yeah. My first class was uh -huh. an Epistles and Revelation survey, and, right. and Sandy Laws was one of my That's students. Right. So, yeah. And it was fascinating. And yeah. you did a darn good job because you're still there. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you are the author of several books, including a brand new one on one of my favorite subjects, Intermediate Greek Grammar. <laughs> <laughs> you are kind of a nerd, aren't you? I, yeah, I am. I am. I, I mean, I, I try not to be on weekends, but <laughs> otherwise I'm uh, teaching or researching and writing. So, Could you do yeah. this podcast in Greek for us? Probably not. No. <laughs> no. no. But I did love Greek while I was there. It was hard, but I yeah. loved it. Yeah. You're also an expert on Revelation, the book of Revelation. Yeah, a lot of most of my most of my writing has been in in the book of Revelation. And, um, and why are you start, so attracted to that book in particular? You know, it's it's strange. I, I avoided that book at all costs <laughs> until I got into seminary. And um, I had a class at Denver Seminary and the professor basically made me write a paper on Revelation 20 in the millennium. And, mm -hmm. and I was going to ask him to if I could change because I, you know, I, I didn't want to have anything to do with Revelation. But I decided, oh, what the heck, I'll just do it. <laughs> write the <laughs> As paper. we all have to do uh, it. Yeah, that's there. right. And I wrote the, I, I researched and wrote the paper, and that was a beginning of a fascination with the book of Revelation. Wow. And uh, since then, I haven't been able to put it down. And I did other research projects at seminary in Revelation. My PhD was on the... Uh, thesis was on the book of revelation wow. and, and most of my writing this is my first book was a revision of that on revelation so i, I can't seem to get away from the book <laughs> i know i understand so, i feel the same way about the jesus chronicles yeah, um yeah. so tell me uh where did you go to where did you go to get your phd yeah i uh after uh, uh, doing a master of arts in new testament here at denver seminary i pastored for six and a half years hmm. and then uh went back uh, decided I wanted to get into teaching and knew that meant getting a PhD. So right. I went to University of Aberdeen in Scotland. Wonderful. And spent three years over there, came mm -hmm. back and taught at a small college in Minnesota for five years and taught in, at Gordon College and Gordon Conwell Seminary oh, in Massachusetts for yeah. eight years. Right. Yeah. And then one day got a phone call from Denver Seminary asking mm -hmm. if I would interview for a position and that was eight years ago wow. so yeah so well, still here and yes you and are done done moving hopefully <laughs> well it's a great spot to be yeah it is it is it is i'm yeah. a native of here so oh right right all well, of you people one of the few in after yeah <laughs> <laughs> one so of the few we are pretty rare it's nice that you would interview an intruder <laughs> <laughs> oh you're welcome so well, thank uh, you so much. Good, yeah. um, we are going to talk about <clears throat> the nativity story, good. which uh, is kind of the focus of right now, the podcast. And I wanted to just start by 
acknowledging that there's only two gospel writers who bring this story to the forefront. That's Luke and Matthew. Why do you think that is? Why do you think only two of the four? Yeah, that's a good question. A couple things. First of all, when we think of, um, when we look at the gospels and think of them as narrative and biography, there's a tendency to want to compare them to modern day biographies where you kind of start with their beginning of their life and go until they die, if they've died, and include as much detail as you can. It seems to me that first century writings were a lot more selective. So they don't, even all all four of the gospels say virtually nothing about Jesus' childhood, except Luke has a, that very brief story about Jesus in the temple and his parents leave and come back and Jesus grew and in uh, knowledge and wisdom and stature and favor with God and people. But other than that, uh, the, even the other Gospels, uh, even Matthew and Luke say nothing about Jesus' early childhood. <clears throat> so it's not surprising that one or more of the Gospels wouldn't include Jesus' birth if it didn't really serve their purpose. Uh, probably Matthew and Luke cl- include it because it... it uh, uh, touches on or important themes that they want to include and develop in their gospels. Uh, in a Mark, Mark jumps says nothing about Jesus' birth or early childhood, uh, probably because he's not interested in that for the purposes. Again, he's not writing a a detailed life of Christ. He's uh, has specific things he wants to accomplish in his gospel, so presumably. Uh, does not need to include the account of the nativity. Uh, John does have that statement in the first chapter that Jesus became flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he kind of sums up Jesus' birth and entire life in that one statement. Uh, whereas it seems to me Matthew and Luke probably uh, find in the nativity story, maybe it's because they had the access to accounts mm-hmm. of Jesus' birth, but they it appears to me that they it, the accounts of Jesus' nativity uh, serve their purpose as far as what they're trying to communicate. Yeah, let's talk about the the thinking of both Matthew and Luke in their Gospels, starting with Luke. Give me your insight into Luke's theological direction for his book. You know, one of the things that Luke emphasizes that uh, probably both writers have a, a number of themes that they're trying to get across. But one important one for Luke is he has a concern for the poor and the outcasts yes. and the socially marginalized. And, and he has a number of stories or parables throughout his gospels that none of the others have. Again, whether he knew of them and the others didn't, or or whether the others knew of them, but just did not include them because again, it didn't serve their purposes. So Luke has the the parable, the Good Samaritan, uh-huh. uh, and he has the account of Jesus healing uh, lepers, and uh, if you remember the account where he heals ten lepers, and one of them comes back, and right. it's a Samaritan, and and so Jesus has uh, uh, Luke has Jesus ministering to the outcasts, the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who were despised. So that's an important theme for Luke, and and uh, you know there's some dispute exactly his audience and why he would do that. Perhaps Luke is trying to write to wealthier Christians, getting them to share their resources with the poor. But Luke has that that theme of of Jesus. Uh, the gospel going out to the the social outcast, the poor, the needy, um, 
Whereas Matthew, Matthew is interested in one of the things I think he's interested in is, is explaining why the church has become so predominantly Gentile. And and uh, writing to a Jewish audience, perhaps in in conflict with the synagogue, some have suggested. But but I'm convinced that at least one of the things that Matthew wants to do, although he's deemed as the most Jewish of the Gospels, which it is, is at the same time showing that that Jesus is indeed the Messiah in fulfillment of Old Testament promises, but for Gentiles. Uh, not only for Jews. So you see over and over again throughout the gospel, Gentiles responding very early on. Uh, a Canaanite woman responds or a centurion responds to the gospel. Uh, at the very end of the gospel, he tells his disciples to, to go out and make disciples of all nations. And so that seems to be a prominent theme for Matthew that uh, the gospel is that Jesus is Messiah in fulfillment of Old Testament promises, the Davidic king, not only for Jews, but now for Gentiles as well. Well, as we talked about, uh, it's only in Luke and Matthew that we have the nativity story. Um, and their versions are a little bit different. I mm -hmm. mean, they, they're the same where it really matters in terms of some of the details of the story. But then they both bring to the forefront different uh, different stories about mm -hmm. that, different events that happen around the Nativity story. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, and let's walk through some of the details of Luke's version of the story. He starts with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, and then the pronouncement by Gabriel that they will have a son who becomes John the Baptist. Well, I mean, what do you think or what's your impression of why would he start with that story? What's the theological significance of that story? I I think some of it is, <clears throat> a lot of it is that, especially the first chapter of Luke, again, Luke, I think, is emphasizing, uh, one of the themes being emphasized is Jesus comes in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises for a Davidic king. And, yes. and you see that emphasized over and over in the in the songs that are sung in the mm -hmm. first chapter and, and the speeches that are given, uh, even John the Baptist being a forerunner to Jesus. So Luke is, is carefully, I think, tying his story back into the Old Testament story yeah. uh, to demonstrate what is happening now is a kind of continuation of and fulfillment of that story and those long-awaited promises of a Davidic king, mm -hmm. and now that is taking place with with uh, uh, the birth of John the Baptist and the anticipation now of Jesus' birth. And interesting that he would uh, have that story with Zechariah, who mm -hmm. is a priest, right? right. And he's yeah. fulfilling his duty at the temple, mm -hmm. and he has this uh, unique opportunity to be in the holy place, mm -hmm. and that's where Gabriel is. So mm -hmm. you can definitely see some ties there to the Old Testament messaging. Sure. And and just the theme of of the faithfulness of God's people. You get the sense that they're mm -hmm. they're fulfilling their responsibilities as they wait. And, yes. and uh, you, you even especially with Mary's song, uh, which very very closely resembles the song that Hannah sung That's back right. in, in I did Samuel. A paper on yeah. That in seminary. Well, then you should answer this question. <laughs> well, no, but it's, I think it's right. good you brought that up. But yeah, even you can even see the themes already of 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 humility and yes. and um, God now working through very humble circumstances. 
That's true. Which Luke. fits his theme, yeah. Luke's theme of of the gospel going out to the outcast and the marginalized and reaching and, the humble. That's right. Yeah. The yeah. Marginalized. Yeah. So you are already seen that being set up in chapter one. Yeah. So, right yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. So Gabriel next visits Mary and I kind of just want to walk through the story a little bit and talk about again, the theology. Um, Gabriel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So that's a pretty weighty message to give to Mary. Uh, What strikes you about that message theologically, the the themes in it? Yeah, again, it's, I think, the almost the contrast between the, the humble state of Mary and who she is, but right. then also, yeah, this language of she is giving birth to the promised messianic king and the son of the Most High. That's a, a fairly exalted title for yes, Jesus as Messiah. So, uh, and just the, the supernatural means by which this is to occur uh, so I, I think, again, you have both those themes of, of God working through very humble circumstances, yet this is the means by which he will bring about the promised Davidic king. So, again, it, it, it's, this language evokes, uh, 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 evokes a, a promise, a theme that goes all the way back to 2 Samuel 7 and the promise of a Davidic Davidic ruler that gets developed through Samuel, but into the Psalms, into the prophetic literature, and now, and now all of a sudden, it's through kind of almost a very unexpected way that this isn't going to happen. A very unexpected yeah, way, yeah. it seems to me. <clears throat> yes, um, and also just right from the beginning, from that very first pronouncement, how important, how significant. Mm-hmm. There's no question as to the idea that this is the son of God. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that's Yes, that's exactly right. Right. It's, yeah. it's not ambiguous as to mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Right. Right from the beginning. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting there. Huh. Okay. So then next Gabriel tells Mary how she will <clears throat> conceive a child since she's a virgin. Right? Mm-hmm. This word. Do you have anything to say about the, the word virgin or the, uh, yeah, that becomes a that, that's becomes a more important term for Matthew, yes, where okay. he uh, he is even he is just as concerned with Luke. Luke or I, I'll put it the other way: we often look at Matthew's Matthew's version. I know you haven't asked that question yet, but <laughs> to jump to Matthew's version is it's riddled with Old Testament quotations where he says this took place to fulfill what was spoken, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Luke doesn't have that as much, but Luke is just as much steeped in the Old Testament through the language and the themes that he evokes. Um, uh, with, with Matthew, the fact that Jesus is born to a virgin is important because he links that back to uh, uh, I- Isaiah chapter 7. I- Isaiah chapter 7 uh, is a promise uh, of, of a, uh, a son that will be born as a sign, 
And there's been all kinds of debate as to who is this son, because in chapter eight of Isaiah, there, you know, the, there is a son that is born. Right. It seems to be what, what is indicated, or, you know, that would, if you're reading Isaiah without Matthew, that would be your first inclination. There's the son that is born. Right. The other thing too, is I'm convinced that probably Matthew read chapter seven in light of eight and nine. And you get to chapter nine of Isaiah, and that's the passage we often think of and read in Christmas time. That's right. A son will be born, and he will be mighty God, a wonderful counselor, yeah. prince of peace, etc. But it goes, we often forget, we go on and, and he will, the the kingdom will be in his shoulders. He'll be in the, the son of David. Right. And and so this this uh, uh probably Matthew, among other things, was reading. Uh, chapter 7 of Isaiah, the promise of a, a son who would be born to a virgin in light of the son in chapter 9 of Isaiah. So he's really but emphasizing it more. I, th I think saying, so, right? yeah. It's yeah. more so, important to virgin status, right. more important to Matthew. Right, this is part of the fulfillment of a coming Davidic right. king. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting. Um, well, so again, uh, Luke describes how a virgin will conceive a child. Um, and I just want to spend one minute talking about that. The text says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And again, we really see this uh, sort of a powerful combination mm -hmm. of things happening to have her conceive a child. Uh, and we see the Holy Spirit in there, and we see God in there. And uh, tell us what you think stands out again theologically about this conception story. Yeah, I think too that when you read it, the not only is this, you know, you think, well, this is the obvious way that God would. Right, you know, makes sense. Enter the world, it makes sense. But also, again, in light of the Old Testament, you go back to the Old Testament, and you often have, whenever, uh, for example, uh, someone who is going to play a significant role in the history of God's people, to deliver them, God's going to use them in a powerful way, it, it's often uh, introduced by a, a rather unusual birth. And you go back again to, uh, to Hannah yeah. and being barren, Right. And you go back to Abraham and Sarah right. and, and uh, you know, God working through rather supernatural means. So I, th I think what's going on here, among other things, perhaps, is, is that this is, no, this is not going to be an ordinary birth. And something unique is happening is a unique stage of redemptive history is happening. And that's signaled by this very unusual birth to a, a virgin, but also one who will conceive outside of normal normal yeah. reproductive means. And also that uh, <clears throat> conception is different from Hannah's and mm -hmm. also from Sarah's. Mm -hmm. So there is, there is, and also even from John the Baptist, right? right? That's right. Yeah. It is, yeah. it is exactly different. Right. Uh, similar to mm -hmm. what you're saying, the idea that God brings forth mm -hmm. people in this and, and pronounces that their birth mm -hmm. is going to be something significant, but That's this right. is also different. Mm -hmm. That's important. Yeah, and I think even even the presence of angels in both chapter, uh, both Luke and Matthew, mm -hmm. angels showing up and announcing right. again, it's a sign something unique is happening here. Yeah. This is a this is not an ordinary birth, and right. and uh, this is a, a unique stage out. in God's redemptive history. Yes, 
The other unique story that Luke tells is related related to the birth of Jesus is the story of the shepherds in the fields mm-hmm. outside of Bethlehem and the angels, mm-hmm. as you were just talking about, in the sky. I really love that story personally because I've been to Israel as have you, mm-hmm. and you can kind of visualize that these shepherds who are the very lowliest of the lowest class mm-hmm. there are out in their field and looking up at the night sky and this really rather dramatic thing happens. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, so let's walk through it a little bit on a theological level. The angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds. Um, I happen to think that's possibly Gabriel mm-hmm. <laughs> that appears to the shepherds since he's <clears throat> so prominently in the story. Yeah. Uh, and his appearance, according to Luke, is accompanied by a blazing light or the glory of the Lord. Now, people often wonder why would God choose the shepherds as the first to know about the birth of Jesus? Give us your mm-hmm. thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you kind of answered it by saying the shepherds were the lowliest of the lowly. Uh, so having the shepherds come and respond to Jesus, having God announce the good news of the coming Davidic king, and you see in the angel speech this emphasis again on on uh, the fulfillment of the promises of a coming Davidic deliverer, a savior. Uh, that language of savior is important for Luke. That's a key right. theme in Luke. Jesus said, is a savior right. of the world. But the fact that he comes to the shepherds first is, and the fact that they go and respond to the uh, the birth the news of the birth of Christ fits Luke's theme perfectly yeah. of going. The gospel goes to the outcasts, the undesirables, the the ostracized, the social mis, misfits, however you want to say it. And so this is just, again, the, the continuation of a theme that, that Luke will emphasize throughout the rest of his gospel. How do you think that would have been received by the first century, by the early church, this reaching out to the Luke, the reaching out to the, low, the lowliest mm-hmm. of people? Would it have been surprising or... Uh, welcomed and exciting? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I'm I'm guessing, I'm guessing it probably would have been surprising to the yeah. first readers to right. yeah, that's just not the you know, you'd expect it to go out to the uh the Jewish Jewish yeah. uh, uh leadership and the Jewish nation and uh, that's to whom their promises were originally what they made. Right, right. And then you have it you have people like the the social outcast yeah. now being responding. And yeah, shepherds, and especially in this this little kind of hick town of Bethlehem. Right. And that's where the 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 gospel first is presented to and, and gets responded to. So yeah, it it just fits Luke's theme perfectly that he's going to emphasize with um his his concern for the the gospel going out to you the definitely marginalized. see a strong connection yeah. there for sure. Yeah. Well, next we have that famous pronouncement from the angel, the words that we often associate with Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. And also when we watch the Peanuts Christmas special, Linus gets up there, (laughs) right? right? He says, I bring you great news that will cause great joy for the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. This really is the core message of the nativity story. Do you agree with that? Yes, it does. It does seem to summarize the entire significance of what's going on in chapter one and two of Luke. And, and you notice the themes of, of again, Davidic Messiah, 
yes. Davidic, or Davidic king, the Messiah. Jesus comes in fulfillment of Old Testament promises, going all the way back to 2 Samuel 7. It gets developed through the Psalms, the prophetic literature, and now that is being fulfilled. You get the theme again of, of the rather ordinary and humble circumstances in which Jesus is born. It'll be a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Uh, that's We've kind of sanitized that and don't recognize, you know, I don't think it hits us, the, the rather uh, humiliating language circumstances in which Jesus was born. And um, and then, too, the, the, the language of great joy. Another important theme for Luke that you find throughout the gospel, but especially in the first two chapters, with all these hymns and songs, is, right. is the response that this salvation, which is another theme in this, a Savior is going to be born. This Messiah comes to save his people. Uh, and bring salvation to the whole world is that should evoke a response of worship and praise and joy. And you see that through especially the first two chapters of Luke as everybody responds and praise the shepherds worship. The, the, the next thing that happens is this angelic throng that comes and worships and praises God, the heavenly hosts, praising God and singing glory to God in the highest. Then later on, Zechariah will praise God and worship and the shepherds return glorifying and praising God. Uh, so this salvation is meant to bring great joy and evoke a response of praise and worship in the people. And all of that really paints a scene of how epically important and mm -hmm. big this event is. Sure, was. yes. Yeah, it does. And sometimes we kind of minimize it as, oh, it was Jesus and humble mm -hmm. circumstances, mm -hmm. this little family. And we, right. we tend to not also focus on how much it was mm -hmm. in the universe of the entire universe right, that God right. created is involved in what's happening. That's right. Yeah, this is a big deal. It <laughs> has heaven and the angels involved. Right. And, here here and, they are. And, They're up and, in the yeah, night sky, right, which would right. have been crazy to see. But. Yeah, I can't imagine what that would have been like to, to, yeah, for years doing the same thing every day and every right. night, and all of a sudden they, they witness something like this. That's and, right. Uh, it's, yeah. And it's always surprising when God inserts himself mm -hmm. in some way and he makes it known um, yeah these surprising right. things kind of happen yeah but beautiful i assume that's right yeah that would have yeah. been awesome but it's, but it's important to remember how big the event was mm -hmm. it is yeah well let's move on to matthew you you kind of discussed the differences theologically between luke and matthew um matthew has some interesting parts of the story he talks about the magi people are really mm -hmm. interested in the magi like who they were, what they what they were doing. Um, and as you know, the Magi come and they are interacting with King Herod. Why do you think Matthew is bringing this story to the forefront of this outside group and mm -hmm. them coming in and following the star? Why do you think he brings that story to the forefront? Yeah, it, and it's interesting too. Matthew says nothing about the shepherds. Nothing. And Luke says nothing about the Magi. <laughs> yeah. And again, right. it's it's uh, to go back to what we started talking about. It's not because maybe they didn't know that those stories, but it's not necessarily because they did those stories didn't happen really, or they didn't know about them. But again, it's they probably didn't serve their purpose. Uh, when you look at Luke, if Luke wants to be concerned with the gospel going out to the social outcast, it really wouldn't serve his purpose to have the Magi, right. we'll talk about who they are in just a moment, come and respond. And likewise, Matthew, 
uh, you know, probably wouldn't really serve his purpose to have the shepherds come, but it would the Magi. And the reason is, yeah, for, number one, the Magi are astrologers. Uh, we often call them wise men, and right. there's probably some truth of that, but more Magi is probably better because uh, the Magi would have been astrologers, and uh, which would explain why they figure out the star and follow the star. That the, makes sense. Yeah. The, the more important, th and because of that too, they're, they're probably sort of dignitaries, they're probably important people to some degree, and we'll see why that's important. But the, the most important thing is they're Gentiles, they're foreigners, and uh, that is, as we said, that's an important theme for Matthew. So it's 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 like right at the beginning, Matthew wants to show Gentile inclusion is not accidental. It, it's it's part and parcel of the very beginning of Jesus' life. The very first people that come and respond are not the Jewish leaders who only had to go a few miles out there. It's it's almost uh, almost ironic. It is very. The, the, the first people that respond to the, God, to the news of the birth of the promised messianic king, yeah. son of David, are not the Jewish leaders who have the scripture. And Herod calls on the scribes, you know, where is this Messiah to be born? And they find the right text, but they won't even go out the back door. Instead, you have these foreigners who come a long way, huh. all the way from Babylon. And um, off the top of my head, I can't think how many miles that would have been, but they come a long way over probably a long period of time to get to the Messiah. I think that's interesting what you're saying here that what Bethlehem was, what is it? Five, seven miles yeah, from Jerusalem. Yeah, right, if right. Herod had been interested, it would have been a simple sure. journey to get there. Yeah. Yeah. He could have jogged there. Because... <laughs> he could have walked there. <laughs> right. But then you've got these Magi who are so far away mm -hmm. and so determined to figure out the truth. Mm -hmm. Right. But Herod, even after he knew that it was going to happen in Bethlehem. He didn't send anybody over there. Right. Yeah. None of them went. And and again, both of those anticipate important themes for Matthew. Number one is the increased rejection by Jewish leadership, but then Gentile reception. So already, uh, already Matthew is signaling that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, chapter one, verse one of Matthew, Jesus is son of David, son of Abraham. Um, but if you remember, uh, uh, part of the promise to Abraham is he would be a blessing to all nations. Right. And so now you see that blessing to all nations taking place with and being fulfilled with foreigners coming to visit the Messiah. Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, is Matthew, Matthew has Jesus, uh, and it's not that it didn't really happen this way, but Matthew just wants to emphasize it. Matthew has Jesus in in the Magi acting out a script that goes all the way back again to the Old Testament. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 60, you have a promise of one day God is going to restore his people. He's going to bring salvation, his kingdom someday in the future. And that will consist of, uh, you start with chapter 60 of Isaiah and it uses language, the, the brightness, the rising brightness, the brightness of the dawn and that nations will come to it, and even and kings will come to the brightness of the dawn, oh, wow. yeah. and the nations will bring gold and incense. Oh. So by having these foreign dignitaries, like the wise men, Gentiles, coming to this rise in response to this rising star and bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, mm -hmm. it's as if Matthew is saying, Isaiah chapter 60 is being fulfilled. Uh, Isaiah's promise of restoration and salvation uh, is now being fulfilled as 
proven by the fact that these foreign dignitaries are coming in response to the star, the light of the rising star, and bringing gifts, expensive gifts, to acknowledge that uh, Jesus is Messiah. So it's really important to understand <clears throat> the prophecies and then see. That's right, yeah. yeah. That's, That's right. what I'm really getting from this is yeah. you got to do that work to tie it together and mm -hmm. really understand the significance of it. You but do. The most important question is, were there only three? There, there must have been. <laughs> the last time I, look, I looked at a Christmas card I got, there was only three of them. So, yeah. <laughs> that speaks to how the culture tries to define Right, right. Them, it's it? most likely, I mean, you, you, we don't, obviously we don't, we don't know. know. Most likely there were more. Yes. Um, but it, it Obviously it comes from the th fact there are three gifts mentioned, but yeah. um, more than likely there was a larger, they traveled in a larger caravan. and. Sure. And it, but other than that, it's it's impossible. But to it tell. is funny how our culture is tries to define all sure, that with it, it does with Christmas cards and songs, right? And, and three wise men, uh -huh. and they come at the, they come to the manger scene, right? I mean, even right Luke's, there that right. day, like and Mary's like that's sure, right, come on yeah, in. <laughs> yeah. They join the shepherds, and, <laughs> right? And all the and, other animals right. and, and the drummer boy. That's exactly and, that's the drummer it was boy. Was a big and, scene there, right? It, it was there. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of got crowded there. It, it got a little crowded. And and you raise an interesting point too. Even Luke's story, well, Matthew's story, uh, the fact that that Herod tries to kill the babies that are two years and younger suggests Jesus was uh, probably close to two and and it says Matthew says they came the the magi came to his house right and um, so they, they weren't out here in the manger right but they even Luke yeah and, and even Luke's story <laughs> uh, uh, interesting with Luke's story we we picture you know Mary and Joseph going to an inn and they're you know the innkeeper says there's no room and they go to some little stable or shed in the back. But uh, actually, the picture is quite different. That word in, that is often translated in, uh, some more recent translations have rethought re that. And and the word is, that is used that there, word, it's kataluma, uh -huh. is actually elsewhere in Luke <laughs> is used of a guest room. And there's a different word used for inn, such as the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the Samaritan takes the beaten man to an inn. That's a completely different Greek word. But but so where math, uh, Mary and Joseph go is not to some inn and then they get rejected and end up in some shed or barn. They actually go to the ancestral house and they're probably staying in the guest room, a small guest room in the house with others. And when it comes time to give birth, that's not that's too crowded. And they go to a, the only place where there's room, probably in the corner of the living room, uh -huh. where the manger would have been uh, in that day. The manger would have actually been in the living quarters and the animals would have come in and fed in the in the the probably hewed out wood uh, stone trough or, or you know, it, right in the floor. And that's that's where Jesus would have been laid. So, yeah, you're right. We, we attach all these. Uh, uh, Kind of our traditions have kind of made the stories look a little bit different than I mean, they probably actually were. For sure, you, you know, you know, you've seen the movie scene where mm -hmm. where Joseph and Mary are rushing from place to place, right, right. trying to find a place for her to have a baby. And right. Finally, some you know kindly person says, mm -hmm. "Right over there, in the middle of nowhere, there's yeah. the, there's a shed or right. a barn where you can have your baby." And and the picture that you're painting is very different. Which right. But far right. more logical. Probably far more true to what we do know in the text and what most likely was a case. It's it's probably doubtful there was an inner motel in such a small town like Bethlehem. And right. I've I've heard 
I, I heard a sermon once on the innkeeper in, in Luke and <laughs> and unfortunately there probably there isn't one mentioned there probably wasn't one but yeah they uh, Mary and Joseph went intentionally I think they knew exactly where they were going right. where, where they were going there was a through their ancestral house and they would stay in the guest room that, um, but that and we have no idea from the text how pregnant she was. We don't. That's right. We, yeah, we don't know how long they were there before right. she gave birth, how pregnant she was. And mm-hmm. and because, um, again, Luke isn't trying to give us all the details. Yes. He's not spinning a story. Uh, he has a theological purpose, as we've seen, and and paints enough of a picture that you get the idea that this is these are very humiliating, humbling circumstances in which the Messiah enters the world because he wants to emphasize that <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah, especially for social outcasts. I, mean, I think we sometimes forget that, how uh, humbling it was, because, again, the culture mm-hmm. wants to point to this very um, sort of couple that is alone in this journey mm-hmm. and they're and here they find themselves right. in these tough circumstances. <clears throat> right, and, right. But I'm not quite sure it was exactly like right. that. And that they did probably have family. You're right. There. You're exactly right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But that that point of showing how humbling it was is to speak to Luke's message about Jesus and his beginnings, mm-hmm. turning things upside down, like mm-hmm. bringing uh, yeah. Jesus forward in humble circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Again, the main point I think is the that this is the beginning, and as I said, it is. It's kind of ironic. It's almost comical when you read it. That, yeah, that I mean, good grief, Herod and the Jewish leadership they they know where to go in the scriptures, and they know, uh, you know, they're expecting this, and this happens five miles out their back door. But he wasn't, I mean, Herod wasn't expecting, he doesn't want anything no, to no, threaten him. Right, right? no, it's that's exactly right. all about surveying right. the land to see what's going to threaten him. Yeah, you, then you have these foreign astrologers mm-hmm. that that travel a distance to go see the Messiah. Yeah. And and um, and even, even, uh, even when Herod hopes they'll come back and tell him where right. the Messiah is so he can go kill him. Right. Is they you know that uh, again an angel enters the scene and they they depart another way and thwart Herod's plan. So there it's it's almost kind of in a sense comical and, and ironic what's happening. It, it is here and again it introduces a very a conflict that's going to continue. Is the Jewish leadership will largely reject Jesus right. and that escalates through Matthew until obviously finally they put him to death. Whereas it's Gentiles that yeah Jews uh, Jews do too, especially the disciples but but it's you have gentiles coming and responding to the gospel and, and herod is really the beginning of the jewish leaders that reject mm-hmm. the message about Jesus. right he, right from the beginning right. he and the scribes and yeah yeah the magi come and say hey we've come to find the king mm-hmm. and herod doesn't say oh well this could be the fulfillment of scriptures and mm-hmm. how exciting what he mm-hmm. says is oh boy, this is going to be a threat to me, and I That's want to right. minimize yeah. that. And there's yeah. just a disconnect between right. should I try to figure out if it's true and mm-hmm. protecting himself and his dynasty. Right, right. Because he was afraid of that. And we see that play out in Matthew's story of mm-hmm. the slaughtering of the innocents, mm-hmm. which yeah. isn't attested to in any other source, mm-hmm. but uh, the text. But you know, how likely do you think it is that that, that happened? Yeah. And, yeah, well, I, I think it's entirely likely. 
uh, number one, from what we do know about Herod, that, uh, you know, that we have all kinds of stories from Josephus and elsewhere, what kind of person he was. He was, as you've already hinted at, he's paranoid about his throne. We have stories of him killing even family members. We have stories of him killing other people, drowning them because he thought they were a threat to his throne. So it's entirely within Herod's character that he would do this. Uh, second is, given the size of Bethlehem, there's it's it's not surprising to me that we would not have any other accounts of this, because given the size of Bethlehem, and as tragic as it was, there's still there it would that would not have been made very many baby boys that would have been killed. I don't know, maybe a dozen. I yeah, don't know. It's, it's a very a small, small amount. Number. So we kind of picture it as a right, big number. That's right. It's so given the stature of Bethlehem and the the number of boy baby boys, it probably was not that significant event that anyone else would even record it. So and kind of sad to think that's the case. It is. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And and even Matthew seems to realize that too, yeah. with that uh, uh, quoting the Old Testament of the mother's weeping, right? And, and so he realizes the tragic nature of that too. He does, and <clears throat> but probably as you're saying, not worth noting in Herod's life because such a compared to how he was mm -hmm. leading armies and killing all kinds of people, yeah, yeah, or whatever he was choosing to do with his in that regard. It's not. It's not. It's like a footnote. Mm -hmm. In yeah, his history. yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be. And he dies a few short years later, right after right. that, um, right. a horrible death, mm -hmm. which, you know, personally, I'm glad that he had a horrible death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it seemed to, yeah, kind of fit the crimes that... It kind of does. But, but you're right, I mean, killing a dozen babies or so for, for him wouldn't be nearly significant as as putting to death other claimants to the throne or others that are more of a threat to the throne which do get reported mm -hmm. so so yeah yeah i think it's entirely plausible that herod would do that i mean yeah, herod is such an interesting character to me in general because when you go to israel you see everything the guy built mm -hmm. and this massive effort to um almost turn israel into like a roman a more roman environment with huge mm -hmm. massive temples and palaces and right, everything right. he did but so in some ways he's trying to create uh put israel on the map if you will but mm -hmm. then he's also treating his people so poorly mm -hmm. yeah yeah so the term herod the great right. must come from what he built not from who right he was. yeah not his character certainly right. yeah yeah he had yeah. a lot of help building that stuff didn't right. he right um, Okay, well, let's talk big picture here as we wrap it up. What do you see as the key takeaways in the story of the birth of Jesus? Yeah, I think I think with Matthew, again, I think it's helpful to talk separately about Matthew and Luke because of how they frame their stories. Again, I think with Matthew, the the main takeaways are that Jesus is being presented as the uh, coming Messiah the, in fulfillment of the Old Testament, but for Gentiles. So this, uh -huh. this is open to Gentiles. Jesus is the Messiah. This kingdom that he's going to bring is, is going to be for Gentiles as well, for you and me, not just for, uh, for the Jewish leadership, not just for the nation of Israel. They're included, 
but but the people of God is now going to expand to include Gentiles as Very well. Very important message. That is, yeah. With Luke again, with with Luke, I think the main message is Jesus. Jesus is is the savior, the coming Davidic king and fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is the savior, but um, for the marginalized, for the outcast, and that that should be our concern as well. But also, just a reminder that God God delights in working in very humble circumstances. I think we, you know, you think of a you know if, if a king is going to be born, and and we've already mentioned there there is a lot of kind of hoopla with angels and the yeah. glory from heaven, and and it's in the context of yeah, this is this is not just a little isolated event in in a small town, but it's set on the, the a kind of a cosmic stage. So we can't forget that. But at the same time, the reminder that God delights to work in very humbling circumstances and very ordinary means. Yeah. And, I love um, that. Yeah. And I, I think that's a message of Luke mm -hmm. that um, I find comfort in. Yeah, I do yeah. too. And it's, yeah. It would have been something quite altogether different if he'd been born into a royal family. Sure, yeah, yeah. in a in a palace, right. and and, set, and no one had access to him, and, right? And yeah, the the fact that I mean, you, you kind of think about it—the fact that just shepherds can go and worship this and and see this and recognize king. right away right. and right. be a part yeah. of it and share that story right from the beginning. Yeah. It's yeah. All the details are so fascinating it is. when you put it, it all together. Right. And really between the two of them you get a very complete picture. Mm -hmm. Uh they may not have the exact same stories as you say, as you said and as it's a fact, but they are presenting bringing forward a lot of information about mm -hmm. that uh event, the yeah. story. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um and I'm assuming that you are a guy that celebrates Christmas and yes, I do <laughs> every year. Yeah, um, I have, do you have, I have kids friend? that would remind me if right. I did. Yes, so. I know. Don't they? Yeah. Don't they yeah. always? No. Yeah. You get yeah. the when our kids were young, we would get the list. Of, right. You know. That's right. And then as they got older, and Amazon was uh, more apparent, there then there was the list from Amazon. Mm -hmm. yeah. It got right. to be so much easier. That's right. Or <laughs> I would just give my parents a book list. <laughs> ah, so you are a nerd. <laughs> I am. Yes. I mean that was that didn't start until about college or seminary. But uh, I think you have a lot of books, as I recall from your office. Yeah, I try. It's it's, a, it's an ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> do you problem. ever call through them or? Um, I do once in a while. Usually when I move, uh -huh. so that's hopefully that'll stop. But. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean it is. It's it's just it's. I was talking with a student with a student the other day in my office of how looking around and th seeing all the books I haven't read yet. It's just, <laughs> right. but, and they just keep coming. It probably it's, is it's overwhelming. Like I don't have it enough is. time. It is. Yeah, I I don't. I, I mean I'm a slow reader and and it takes me a while to plow through things. So it's like uh, yeah, I just don't and you're have busy time. too. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So. Well, so about Christmas, what is your feeling about the? the culture of Christ, Christmas and Christianity. And, and what do you do personally to keep Christmas mm -hmm. special for you and your family? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I, I do, I, I do think there's a danger of, you know, you hear people, Oh, it's so commercialized. And yeah, I, I get that. And uh, you don't want to make it just about how many gifts can I get? But a couple things. Number one is I look at, you know, all the lights and the, all that's going on is, is I kind of redeem that. And I think, you know, this is, this should be a celebration. This is the birth of Christ. And so I'm going to celebrate and 
-hmm. And that's what, to me, that's what the decorations point to and all the celebration and going to Christmas parties is, is it's not just another holiday like 4th of July or whatever is this is celebrating the birth of Christ. So I'm, I'm quite happy to celebrate and go all out at times and, and decorate and the lights, uh, uh, because for me that, I mean, you think in terms, yeah, go back and read Luke two and all, you know, that you mentioned already the glory of God shining, the angelic beings. I mean, that was a big party in a sense. So, yes. so I, I, I'm happy to celebrate, but one of the things I do to just kind of keep centered is, is I, I like to attend certain, uh, special, um, church services and celebration leading up to, um, you know, celebrating, you know, lighting the Advent candles, mm-hmm. um, going to a Christmas Eve service with my kids. Uh, I, I, t- I read the Christmas story from both alternate Matthew and Luke, sometimes both mm-hmm. in Luke two and Matthew two, um, every evening. I try to every evening or a couple weeks leading up to Christmas. Great idea. Um, before, <clears throat> Usually when I'm with my kids Christmas morning, we quote the Christmas story from Luke 2 before opening gifts and um, say something about why we're doing this. And and so that, those are some of the things I, I, I don't think that I, I don't personally, I'm not saying that others should, shouldn't do this, but I, I don't, uh, for myself, I'm not going to just, you know, not celebrate Christmas. Right, or, I don't begrudge it either. Right, begrudge it or it's not. It's kind of nice decorate. that it happens every year because it brings right. it to the forefront of our mind. It does, it does. So, so, so I've, and I was raised that way. My parents, my mom uh, would decorate and go all, all out to decorate. Too. and But we are always reminded that here, this is why we do it. And and it, it uh, for me, I was never tempted to make it a commercial thing. Yeah. And just about gifts and Santa Claus and all that. And that, that I know that may not be the same for other people, but for me, it wasn't. And so for that reason, I, I'm happy to celebrate as much as I can because I'm celebrating the most significant event that, that happened in history and in my own life. I so, think it's yeah. great too. I love it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, fun to do it all. Well, it is. Dr. Dave, thank you so much for coming and definitely good to have you back. Good. And as yeah. we're talking about this, it's been really fun be to have the conversation. I well, really appreciate yeah. it. Well, I'm glad to do it. This was a lot of fun. And thank, <laughs> thanks for asking yeah, me. Yeah, you're welcome. Risking having you come. So. <laughs>